It was a difficult day in Birdland. An emotional day. This was the day when the team in the front office bundled up and made the long trek to the water's icy edge. Brian Mattis, failed starter and ineffective loogie, said his goodbyes to his teammates as he prepared to leave the only organization he ever knew. With that, he put on a brave face and stepped boldly onto the ice sheet. Tears were shed, meaningful glances were exchanged, and then the Orioles took a long stick, the parting stick, and they pushed. Brian Mattis slowly drifted away, looking to his future in Atlanta as the great unknown. When Mattis had drifted far away enough, the respectful silence gave way to the quiet sound of preparation. And then... Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is May 23rd, 2016. This is episode 165. Oh, and it's going to be a good one. I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my I can't keep him in his seat. He is so excited. Jake English. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also check us out at baltimoresportsreport.com. And you can also check us out at baseballtalkradio.com. Yes, that's a lot of dot-coms in a row. Uh, check us out on third-party platforms such as Google Play Music for you Android lovers out there and for you Apple folks that love to shill your dollars. iTunes is there for you. Please rate and review our show uh, it, it certainly helps to get the listener base grown so that you can all experience in camaraderie the excellent cold opens um, that Jake English just delivered. With that, you should also be checking us out on social media at facebook.com slash BVCast, Google+, Periscope, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, at BirdseyeViewBAL, and anything else that would likely come out. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. So, Jake, we're in a celebration mode here. What are you drinking? What's your drink of the week? I'm so lame. Yeah, okay. I'm so lame. I'm sick, so I'm drinking warm tea. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice uh, dark t- uh, chai tea. All right. Well, I'm definitely going with a little bit differently. I'm going with a Flying Dog Fever Dream, which is a mango habanero IPA. I gotta say, first drink, I was just like, eh, it's okay. But it definitely has that slow burn in the back of your throat, which is just nice. Just really nice. I didn't care for it when I had a sip, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve judgment only because you just used the phrase "feel the burn in the back of my throat." If you are interested in joining us for our drinks of the week, make sure you follow us on Untapped. We would love to get to know you better and to see what you are drinking. You can find me at Jake E four zero two five. You can follow me at M A G N eight six zero six. And with that, let's dive into the medical wing. All right, so we could go through the whole aspect, I guess, of Giovanni Gardo coming back, throwing in the bullpen, and um, J.J. Hardy is getting better. But you know what? I want to try something a little bit different this week because if there's not going to be any major medical breaking news, I think it's important that we stay to our absolute top physique. So as we discussed in last week's episode, Chris Maurer, a fellow listener of the show, dropped off uh, into my possession Jim Palmer's Way to Fitness. 
And if anything, that body should tell me is how to stay in shape. So I thought it would be apropos to maybe give a few choice words from Mr. Palmer himself about how to stay fit. I like this. This is kind of some preventive maintenance uh, in the words of Jim Palmer, actual words he wrote in this book. That's right. So let's, let's go through a few choice words. I try to live fit and to think fit, but that doesn't mean I won't have an occasional glass of wine. It's good. Wine's good for you. I like this. Yeah. One, one glass a night. Yeah, right. I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I don't do or haven't done myself. Okay, that list is frightening, but again, that's that's a, a good sign. It's a good sign. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. There is no specific exercise that will help to shrink a particular portion of your body. I gotta be honest. I, I kind of feel like uh, we wandered into seductive Tommy Hunter zone here. Hmm. Now, this is a great book, and I, I think that this should make a reappearance here when, when we're thin in the medical wing, but uh, there's an important part of this book that you have not uh, brought up just yet. This is not just any Jim Palmer book. There is an inscription in the beginning of this book. There is an inscription. It is signed by Mr. Jim Palmer himself. It is signed by Mr. Jim Palmer himself. And it is addressed to you, Scott. However... Uh, Jim Palmer has a very weird nickname for you, and that is Tish. So apparently, I'm a woman that makes him sweat all over too. Scott, I apologize. I'm gonna have to call you Tish from here on out on the podcast. That's fair. As long so, as I make Jim Palmer sweat all over, I'm okay with that. Tish, it is. All right. Well, with that, uh, let's go into 140 characters or less this week on the Twitter. Jake, why don't you start us off? I am interested in this. And I am also terrified. This is a tweet that came from Team Steve member himself, Steve Johnson, who tweets at S Johnson 831. Now with the Seattle Mariners, sadly, what was recently back in town. And he asked the following of the Twitterverse. Anyone know where I can get a Maryland flag suit jacket? Somewhere that won't take too long to get. Let me know. Where are you going that you need a Maryland state flag suit jacket? And yeah, where can I get one? Preakness, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. All right. This next one comes from the Oriole Bird at Oriole Bird. Hey, didn't realize that he could type with those fingers. West Coast time, the next few nights, plan accordingly. Take a nap, extra caffeine, whatever it takes. Not a big fan of West Coast games. How about yourself? I love West Coast games. Yeah. First of all, I'm a night owl. But second of all, nothing else interferes with the game, right? Uh, Oriole games that start at 7 and 5, right smack dab in the middle of dinner, bath time, bedtime. When you have children, you may have other chores that you want to get done. You may still be at work. But when it's late, it's just you and some quality time with your birds. Next tweet comes up to <gasps> hashtag the Brian Roberts watch continues. This tweet comes from Steve Molesky. You can follow him at Mass and Steve. And hey, he's got a podcast out, allegedly. Brian Roberts will be the Orioles representative at June's MLB draft. That's great. You know, goes from Masson to the MLB draft. Hey, any any further deepening relationship between Brian Roberts and the Orioles is fine by me. Say what you will about Brian Roberts. He represents a good player on a bunch of terrible teams. He's, actually, a, he's a personal favorite. It's actually good. He was announced to uh, announce the compensatory draft pick that the Orioles had. Oh, oh, wait. Can we share some dad thoughts? Sure, we can do some dad thoughts. I mentioned, uh, I mentioned putting people to bed, uh, but... Orioles Uncensored uh, had a great tweet out. When do the PJ masks sleep? I mean, they're regular kids all day and then superheroes all night. Kids their age need at least eight solid hours. If you're not a parent, you have no idea what's going on here. But, John, that's well done. Yeah. If you are a parent, you're just like, yes, thank you. Someone else gets it. All right. So we're going to milk this next tweet for all it's worth. This comes from Jim Palmer at Jim22Palmer. Read it out, Tish. Must get cow milking contest out of the way. Then we play ball. Hashtag strange times in Anaheim. At Masson Orioles, at Orioles. I have a feeling that that's not the first time that Jim has uh, milked something out in Anaheim. I missed that whole thing. And so its representation on Twitter was just awkward. Yeah. Uh, you want to take the last tweet? Yeah. Let's go ahead and look at something that came out to celebrate someone whose birthday is today. May 23rd, and that, of course, we're talking about Buck Showalter. There were lots of special messages that came through, but the Baltimore Orioles were kind enough to tweet out to us, and this, of course, comes from at Orioles, a special message 
from Tim Kirchin and Scott Van Pelt. Happy 60th, Buck. With Tim Kirchin, I'm Scott Van Pelt. We just want to extend our birthday wishes to Buck Showalter. Tim, you know how old he is? He's 60. That would be one way to put it. You know another way to put it? The big 6A. Buck Showalter's the big 6A. And what does he manage? Baltimore Oreos. You know what they do when they bring you a cake? You know what you got to do? Blow out the candles. Blow them all out, Buck. Happy birthday from Tim. He's incapacitated. Go get him, Moshe. We love you. That will never get old. I could listen to that all day. I could listen to basically Tim Kirchner just, just laughing his butt off at uh, Baltimore's any day of the week. I remember actually sitting down with the Baltimoreans for the first time ever and uh, teaching them some Baltimore's, and that that was good stuff back in the day. So, uh yeah, well done. Well done to actually to the Baltimore Orioles social media for getting uh, a bunch of really neat videos out there. I thought my personal favorite one was uh, Brady Anderson coming in. I thought that was a really poignant uh, video uh, with him coming in. But yeah, really, uh, really nice job by the Orioles social media staff today for uh, Buck Showalter's uh, 60th, 60th birthday. Um, let's go through the nitty gritty. Um, you know, there was the big announcement today of Brian Mattis being traded to the uh, from the Baltimore Orioles. My question is, Jake. Who else could leave the Baltimore Orioles in the near future? Let's go get an expert's advice on this matter. The roster is set just prior to opening day, and it's never the roster that plays on the team's final game of the season or in the postseason. Things change. Players come and go. Rob Shields wrote a piece in Baltimore Sports and Life detailing some current Orioles who could be gone by the trade deadline and was kind enough to join us here on Bird's Eye View. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. Before we get any further, we need to take care of something very important and it's near and dear to our heart here at Bird's Eye View. First of all, what is your drink of the week? Well, I mainly will be a water drinker, don't drink soda or anything like that. But in terms of real drinks, uh, I'm, uh, I like a lot of craft beers. I'm not into any IPAs. Right now, the summertime, I, I, you know, I like a lot of the Sam Adams, like Cold Snap and the Summer Ale and things of that nature. A lot of German beers, too. What do you feel about this whole recent craze with like putting like mangoes and fruits into IPAs? Are you just an IPA like turned off completely off of them now, or do you just are just kind of just playing like eh, you've seen them all and you're kind of off of them? No, I, IPAs are too hoppy for me. Gotcha. I, I can't get into them at all. Uh, I don't care if they put fruit in it or not. It, it, <laughs> they just don't do it for me. I just can't drink them. But with the craft uh, not being into IPAs doesn't mean you have to drink one of the big three, right? That's right. All right, let's look up. Let's get to the big news. Um, it came out Monday night that Brian Mattis was traded to the Atlanta Braves uh, for the Orioles' compensatory draft pick. And uh, in your article, you actually talked about Brian Mattis and certainly the concern that a lot of Orioles fans had uh, in terms of what role he had on this team. Uh, and, and he, you know, it's Brian Mattis is one of those individuals that is a frustrating case for Orioles fans because he carries that baggage of having been a failed starter uh, from the Calvary. Um, I guess the question is, should we be surprised, and what do we take away from Brian Mattis now being designated for assignment by the Baltimore or being traded to the Braves, who looks like they're going to designate him for assignment? Well, first of all, I, 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 I'm definitely in the camp that believes that the Orioles screwed up Mattis early on, uh, whether it's the time to the plate stuff or, or what have you. I, I, I think that they definitely kind of messed with him a little bit, and that pushed him back. But at the end of the day, this is a guy that this is one of the few guys that I can ever remember going to the bullpen and his stuff not getting better. I mean, almost always your stuff gets better when you go to the bullpen, and it did not happen with Mattis. Yes, he saw the K rate really jump up last year. That was an encouraging sign. But essentially, he's a guy that can't get righties out and doesn't overwhelm lefties. I think last year he was around league average in terms of a lefty reliever versus a lefty uh, batter. So. He, he doesn't do anything spectacular out there. And quite frankly, I thought he should have been non-tendered before last season when he made, I think, $3.2 million. And this year he's making about four, And he's being paid too much for what he does. So, uh, you know, whether 
Atlanta, I was surprised in a way that Atlanta was going to cut him because I was wondering, my first thought was that some bottom-feeding team was going to take him on and just let him start and see if he, they could find a diamond in the rough there, similar to like the Arietta situation. But, um, you know, he'll be out there. Somebody will give him a job, but I, I'm not sorry to see the guy go. Yeah, I, I really feel like Brian Mattis, you know, clearly failed as a starter, and, and whether or not that's the Orioles' fault or, or his, um, there's probably – a lot of both in there. It was interesting to me to see the guy go to the bullpen. In 2012, I think that he did actually a very admirable job. And you're right. When you see guys go from the, the starting rotation back to the bullpen where they have to pitch for a shorter amount of time, where they can pitch at maximum effort for the entire time they're on the mound, you do see that bump. But he just couldn't sustain it um, to the point where really he was completely unef- uh, ineffective. My question about Mattis now that he's gone is what do the Orioles do as far as the lefty in their bullpen? It seems like Buck Showalter has the the opinion that there should be a lefty back there. But with TJ McFarlane uh, being out right now, the 40-man rotation is, or the 40-man roster rather, is kind of thin with lefty talent. Do you think that he will use this opening to make room for maybe one of the other starters that's struggling, uh, or are we going to see somebody come up uh, from the minors to fill that lefty role? Yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of the, the big question here. They they picked up Brian Dunsing tonight as well, uh, who, you know, had some okay years in Minnesota. Never a great reliever, but, you know, as we know, some of these middling relievers, they can come in, they can have a big, they can have a big year. They can have a big few months. I got to think there's going to be some kind of trade that they're going to make. You know, the, the arm that you heard so much about in the uh, spring training and in the uh, in the off season was Tanner Scott, and he's been really rough so far this year in single A. So he's not somebody who's probably on the radar. They've got a couple of guys down in AAA that you know are doing okay, but uh, you know, there's nobody that you really want to rely on. I mean, let's face it. Now, I'm personally not somebody who feels that it ma- I don't I don't care if they throw with their feet as long as you get a guy out that's all that matters. But I agree with you. Show Walter's going to want a lefty. One of the one of the young kids they got in trade is a lefty uh reliever. It doesn't look like you probably would want to rely on him yet, but um in a very small sampling, he's got good splits against lefties, but again, he's probably not somebody that they're thinking of at the moment. <clears throat> so, they they'll probably play around with some different guys. Brock has got some good numbers against lefties in the past, so he'll probably be one of the key guys at the end of the bullpen against tough lefties. And they'll just have to, you know, they'll have to wait until they can find that trade for somebody in the, uh, you know, in the next month or so. Sure. Uh, here at Bird's Eye View, we've been talking about getting rid of Brian Mattis for quite some time. Uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion that the Orioles should have put him on an ice flow and simply pushed him out to sea. <laughs> Um, but well, they did that. They just offered a draft pick along to push that ice floor to right. see. So, <laughs> but but he's gone at this point, and for many of us in Birdland, he's he's gone, um, but too late. That leaves the rest of the roster as kind of a question. I think that there are a lot of guys that Orioles fans are talking about. You know, should be gone from from the organization. I think that's that's really where your piece comes in. So I was wondering if we could talk about a couple of the guys that you highlighted as being candidates. Um, and I wanted to start from the top and talk about the enigma that is uh, Abaldo Jimenez. You know, I like, everybody, I, I like a, the long a lot pause. of people are jumping on Ubaldo. <laughs> yeah. and, and I understand why in many ways. The, the guy is extremely frustrating to watch pitch. You know, he's, he's probably one of the least favorite guys we've ever had in this organization in terms of just watching him play the game. <clears throat> but... There, there is a little bit of unluckiness in his numbers this year, and I know you know people don't like to hear that, but he's got a 367 batting average of balls in play. Uh, his career is like in, like uh, like around 300. It's way higher than last year. It's pretty unlucky, and with that, he has seen his ground ball rate to be, go above two to one, which is the highest it's been in his career. So, <clears throat> I like to see the ground ball rate um, going into yesterday. His strikeout rate was the same that it's been for the last few years. It dropped a little bit after yesterday. So he's missing bats at a roughly the same level as he has in his career, or at least the last few years. He's throwing strikes at a higher rate than he has uh, in most of his career, the same as last year. His first pitch strike percentage is the same as last year, which is much higher than the rest of his career. So he has some stuff, he has some stats in his favor. I was looking it up today. 27 of his last 41 starts, which is basically the start of last year through uh, yesterday, he's let up three runs or less. 
He had another seven starts in that stretch where he let up four runs. So he's had seven awful starts in the last 41 starts. Now, four of those starts were at the end of last were, were last year, and everybody's saying, well, look, he's had a, he had a 5-6-8 ERA to end the year in the second half last year. Yeah, that's true, but it was blown up by four bad starts, and the rest of his starts were, were pretty good. And he ended the year with, I think, 3-6-8 ERA in his last six starts. So <clears throat> he's a very, it's a very much of a mixed bag. That being said, to me, he's got, a, he's got about three or four weeks. If Gallardo, who I don't even like Gallardo, I thought he was a poor signing, but if Gallardo it comes back, he's healthy, and his velocity is, is higher than it was, Ubaldo to me is the odd man out, and I don't see a reason of keeping him around and sticking him in the pen. If he's not pitching well, eat the salary, get rid of him, keep the young guys in the rotation, who I'm not even sure they're good enough, but I'd still rather see them and see what they can do more than Ubaldo at this point. Yeah, you go look back, and then I, you know, coming back to the stats, and I think you're exactly right. As you know, Ubaldo has definitely been hit with a, a little bit of the of the bad luck. That Babip had 367 compared to the 300 basically average he's had over his career. It's definitely of interest. He's also got an extremely low 65.9% LOB percentage, which is typically around 72%. Uh, and, and the thing that just pops out to me is you look at the FIP versus the ERA. His ERA is right now above six, but his FIP's right there at 4.33. Mm-hmm. You look at the F war for Baldo Jimenez, and we're 25% through the season. He's at 0.5 for an F war. If you take it over the entire season, even if he performs in the same clip, you had a 2.0 F war. That's a pretty decent value for a pitcher that's going to get around $12 million. I mean, I'm not saying that he's going to be great, but he could easily be that third or fourth starter on a team such as this. And again, you're definitely looking at the worst case possible right now with it. But I think if you look at the peripherals, like you said, Rob, there's a lot to look at and gleam and say things are probably going to have to turn around eventually for Abado Jimenez. He can't be as unlucky as he has been so far this season. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, except the caveat of the walk rate, and yeah. which is 4.8 right now. Yeah. And look, Jimenez is a guy that doesn't usually get hit hard. It, it happens occasionally, but for the most part, when he's getting hit, it's a lot of soft liners, bloops, ground balls that find the hole, things like that. When he gets in the trouble is when he's walking three and four and five guys a game. He hits one or two batters. He uncorks a wild pitch or two. And, you know, all of a sudden a couple of those soft hits and the team's got three or four runs off of them. That's the issue. That was the issue we saw in 2014. Last year we saw when he kept the walks down, he was fine. There was nothing wrong with him when he kept the walks down last year. When he started to, to get the walk rate started to go up as the year went on, that's when he started getting in trouble. So that's really what it boils down to with him. So, the the which is why if he's continuing to be a nightmare for the next three or four weeks, which is probably what three or four starts, five starts, something like that, if that keeps up, I don't really feel that needed to keep him. I mean, yes, it's going to be about twenty million dollars that you have to eat, but you know the Orioles ate twenty-five to thirty million in contracts last year from all their poor signings and. That's the way it goes. Now, it's possible. I had actually brought up the idea of trading him to Atlanta uh, the other day because I had read that Atlanta was interested in taking on contracts so they could get picks. Now, this was exactly what they did for Mattis. Um, obviously, this is much better to just have to eat $3.9 million and cut him uh, as opposed to the $20 million. But, I, I mean, I kind of wondered, is there, was there a deal? Is there a deal there? I, and I'm not saying I want to necessarily bring back Mark Hakis, but is there a deal for a team like Atlanta where they just want to shed salary and they say, okay, well, Jimenez is gone in a year, whereas we have Mark Hakis for two more years? I mean, you just kind of wonder if there's a deal like that out there from some team where you can move him. But, I mean, if he continues to struggle, I don't see the need to keep him. The only, But the peripherals say that it's not that hard to believe that he could kind of turn things around either. All right. Well, let's go and uh, move towards the outfield. So this offseason, the Orioles failed to reel in Dexter Fowler with that kind of debacle, um, for, which was just a weird situation. Um, but the Orioles seem to be making it work with a combination of Mark Trumbo, Joey Rickard, Hunsu came and Nolan Reimold as the corner outfielders. You just mentioned Nick Markakis as uh, as a potential name. Um, is the four names that I mentioned before enough for a contending club? And if not, what can the Orioles do about it uh, in order to improve themselves? I, I think we all agree that the Orioles 
biggest need is a another is a legitimate top of the rotation starter. That guy's not coming up anytime soon, and we're not trading for that guy because we don't have the players to get him. So to me, I think a legitimate corner outfielder that can play defense because we don't have one of those, and also hit is is the biggest need on this club that we can realistically fill. And um, I don't think you know Kim. Obviously, is not somebody that Show Walter has any trust in. That that that's very obvious. I mean, the guy is hitting 400 and getting on base 45 percent of the time, and and he has no interest in playing him. He's not showing any power, um, but he shows good patience at the plate. But he obviously doesn't want to see him out there. So, Trumbo, you would rather see it at DH. Obviously, he's he's not quite a dumpster fire in the outfield, but it's close. Reimold's not that great of a defensive outfielder, and Rickard is he's maybe slowly improving as he adjusts to the second tier and all in the stadiums. But for the most part, he's not somebody you want out there every day anyway. So I think they need to go after a real outfielder. Um, that, that, that to me, and, and I think they have the pieces to get one. I, I've mentioned Cole Calhoun. It'll be interesting to see how, so as their season goes on, I mean, their two best pitchers are looking at Tommy John. They've got a ton of injuries. You know, they're not going to be good for a little while, it doesn't look like, with a terrible farm system. So trading a guy like Calhoun where they can maybe get some decent prospects and all, um, I, I think is something that they, they potentially could look at. And that's a guy that would be perfect for the Orioles. I'm uh, I'm surprised to hear you say that you think that the Orioles have the, the bullets and the gun to pull a trade like that. When I when I look down at the system, I, I'm not quite as rosy on the out uh, on the outlook of being able to get a, a legitimate uh, bona fide outfielder, which is why I think the Orioles tried so hard to uh, to get one in the offseason. I, I will I will certainly defer to your judgment, but let me ask you this: um, You know, we've already seen them move Mattis. Uh, another guy that you mentioned in in your piece was Pedro Alvarez. Um, do you think that Pedro Alvarez could be moved for anything useful, or do you think Pedro Alvarez would simply be moved to get rid of him? I don't see how Alvarez is useful to anybody if he's not hitting right-handed pitching. I mean, that that's really that's all he is at this point. He can't hit lefties. He can't run. He can't play defense. I mean, aside from his ability to, to, to hit righties, everything else about his game is he's essentially the Brian Mattis of DHs. So he, he doesn't do anything good. So if he's not hitting right-handed pitching, then he is useless to any team. Now, that doesn't mean that some team wouldn't take a chance on him and see if, you know, you know, he just a different scenery. Maybe there's something about Baltimore that isn't working with him or something like that. But at the end of the day, I don't see what the use of this guy is for any other team. I mean, if he doesn't, if he's not going to hit well at, at Camden Yards, which is good for lefties, you know, where is he going to go and where is he going to hit well? So <clears throat> to me, he still, you know, he deserves a little bit more time. But, you know, and none of our minor league guys are quite knocking on the door. I mean, Cisco is having a good year in terms of his, his uh, on-base percentage and all. He's not showing much power. Um, Reyes is is a few is a few years away. Mancini and Walker are struggling a little bit recently at AAA. Those are guys that could be knocking on the door. Um, but you know, generally speaking, we don't have that guy right now that you can bring up that 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 you're in love with. But at the end of the day, that that's why they got to trade for the outfielder so then they can just push Trumbo to to DH. And and by the way, just going back to what you said about the minor league system, it's not that strong, but it's probably strong enough to where you can add a Cole Calhoun guy, a guy that is a perhaps a borderline all-star type player. You're not going to be able to get a legit all-star player, but you can get a solid guy, and that's what that, that's the type of guy I think they should go after. All right, so last question. I'm going to put you on the spot. With the names that you've listed, um, who's the next player that's designated for assignment or traded by the Baltimore Orioles, and what's your time frame for that designated for assignment? <laughs> if I had to guess, it, it would be Alvarez, um, simply because, He's not helping. I mean, he has six hits this month. I mean, he's just not helping. His salary was five seven five this year, and you know you've already eaten probably a couple million of it, so it's not going to cost that much. I'd say with you know he's got a about three weeks or so, I think to start turning around. If not, I think he's going to be gone. All right. Well, Rob, um, thanks so much for coming on the show. What's going on in Baltimore sports and life uh, right now? Uh, what what what's going on there? Um, you know, we, we, we have a lot of coverage of a lot of different things. Uh, we're, we're putting out probably anywhere from three to six Orioles articles a week uh, based on, on different topics. 
a lot of Raven stuff, a lot of off-season stuff, and then uh, we've had a lot of recent Terps talk with the recruiting news in both football and basketball. So it's it, it's a pretty wide variety of all things Baltimore and Maryland related. Great. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, how can they find you? Uh, my handle is BSL Rob Shields. Great. Rob, thanks so much for coming on Bird's Eye View. We look forward to talking to you in the future. All right, great. Thanks for having me. All right, Jake, so we just got off the depressing aspect of talking about players who may not be carrying themselves enough to, well, stay on this team, basically. Um, uh, however, I think we often have a tendency to ignore certain players that are, are contributors on this team more so than what most fans think. So I think when the common fan recognizes the Baltimore Orioles, they think of Jones and Machado and Davis, and to a certain aspect, Chris Tillman, Zach Burton, and O'Day from the pitching standpoint – However, there are players that play a critical role in this team that I think sometimes are ignored or in certain instances demonized. And I think the most infamous player in my head has to be Ryan Flaherty, who either falls in the category of you think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread and you it's almost a running joke to the aspect of how much you love him. Or you're like Ryan Blake, who absolutely hates him with a, with a hatred beyond belief. I mean... Here's an interesting thing about that, though. Yeah. I think Joey Rickard is joining Ryan Flaherty mm. as being a polarizing player like that. Excellent point. So, yeah, I, and I don't think that's the, the segment that we want to kind of go through here and kind of talk about polarizing figures on the Orioles. But I guess my question to you, Jake, is, you know, I, I named some of the all-star players on this team. Um, who do you consider to be potentially the most underrated player on the Baltimore Orioles? Kind of a, an underrated but X-Factor type of guy, right? Yeah, like an X-Factor kind of guy, yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to try to avoid going chalk here, and I'm going to make an argument that I'm hoping you won't pick apart. Sure. Here's my guy. It's J.J. Hardy. Mm, okay. It, he's my most underrecognized Oriole in 2016 for a couple of reasons. Uh, he cemented himself as one of the better shortstops in the league offensively and defensively when he came over to the Orioles. But I would say that in most respects, he's been a complete disappointment at the plate since he signed his four-year extension, right? Here's the thing. He remains a great defender and was showing signs of, if not being back, being improved before he he uh, suffered that fractured foot earlier in the season. And I can hear the argument b between you and, and Orioles fans saying, but Jake, he's hurt again. How can you say he's better? Here's the distinction I make in my mind. The difference is that Hardy's current injury is one of those freak things that could happen in baseball to anybody. I yeah. mean, it could happen to Adam Jones, the way he hits balls off, off his ankle and his foot. You bite your tongue right there. It's not something like his bulky shoulder or his bulky back. It's not an aging injury. It's a baseball injury. Um, and, and I want to be careful here because all we had to look at in 2016 is a short sample size. It's 86 plate appearances. But that having been said, they were pretty good. And they were pretty good from what I would call a second-tier player, right? He's not the star of the show. He's a guy that's going to be in the seventh, eighth, ninth hole. But Hardy's uh, 2016 Woba is 301, and his weighted runs created plus is 87. J.J. Hardy was hitting the ball with authority. J.J. Hardy was contributing on the offense. And if he can do that and be, again, uh, a role player, a contributing guy that that adds up um, to, to the other guys that, that are going to hit the ball hard, He's going to certainly be better than his replacements. Guys like Ryan Flaherty, Paul Yanish, and yes, even Pedro Alvarez. So I, I think, you know, head to head, Hardy is clearly uh, a better offensive player than at least the first two. And his defensive prowess makes the left side of our field, uh, infield formidable at the least. And I'm sure that Hardy's range is diminished as he's aged. Uh, and I'm aware that we have this guy named uh, uh, Manny Machado playing shortstop right now. But I still think that Hardy is good. And I think that when he comes back from this foot injury, he can be an X factor on this team. And I think by, by the year's end, I think that fans will look back and see J.J. Hardy as an underrated contributor to this season. What are your thoughts? I, I think you're on the right page. I was actually talking about this with Carrie, and we were talking about this, this X factor segment. And she mentioned that she thought Jonathan Scope was an excellent example of a player that sometimes is underappreciated and underutilized. And I think we're seeing a similar situation this year like we did with Jonathan Scope last year. When Jonathan Scope went out and got injured, 
you fully realized at that point of how you know valuable his defense was at the time uh, because you ended up with Steve Pierce at second base for for a, a few games. And I think for J.J. Hardy, it's it's kind of in a similar boat. I think it's been muted to a certain regard about how well Manny Machado has played shortstop. But having Manny move over to a shortstop and have third base be a combination of Yanish, Flaherty, and Pedro Alvarez, I think it gives you a, a greater appreciation of how good the defense is there. And like you said, any additional offense that he can bring was a positive. And there was that that inkling of potential getting back to where he was in the past. Again, not dominant, but a decent enough six or seventh hole hitter where he could have done some decent damage in this lineup, uh, saddled around a few other players. So I, I, I'm not dismissing your choice. I just think that J.J. Hardy, again, he's been an all-star before, so... I'm going to give you partial credit on this one, okay? All right, so it wasn't chalk, but it was kind of chalky. It, it was kind of chalky, yeah. It was like malted milk, basically, yeah. So, um, all right, I know who Rich Chocolate Ovaltine. I know who your pick is. You're just saying that because he's old. Yeah. That's not fair. Well, That's not right, Tish. You take that back. Sorry. I know who your pick is. As soon as we talked about this, I had the clear vision of you ranting about this guy. Bring it on. Let me hear it. It's got to be Brock. So it's got to be Brad Brock, who has to be the most underappreciated and unrecognizable player in Baltimore. Guys, I don't think you realize he's putting together an all-star-like season. And you should just go and look at the numbers. 1.16 ERA as a relief pitcher, 2.47 FIP. Um, He's got the 10th best F-war in the American League. And, you know, the the ones that I always look about uh, in terms of relief pitchers is a stat called RE24, which is basically run expectancy over 24 outs. So it basically looks at when a pitcher comes into a scenario, how much does he improve his situation in terms of run expectancy? And Brad Brocker is right there at 8.68. He's third best in the American League. He's better than Zach Burton right now and in terms of improving run expectancy. Brad Brock is just an amazing asset for this this bullpen and i think he goes under utilized or under recognized because he's straight as a setup man to o'day and burton i think we're just like oh yeah brock's coming in in the sixth or seventh inning that's great but to carry over from a rotation that as we've discussed is not that great and get him through the sixth inning and setting seventh inning in multiple situations to get it to an o'day and a burton is extremely valuable uh, and, and Brad Rock, again, coming into this team, when he came on the team in 2015, I was just like, eh, who really cares? Like, he's going to be, you know, a typical pitcher that, you know, will flame out. I was thinking he'd be, you know, one of those that was like, eh, he was around for two or three months and then we designated for him assignment. But Brad Brock has reinvented himself in his pitch arsenal. He's increased his splitter usage up from coming from the Orioles from 14 to 26%. And Jake, Looking at his splitter percentages, I broke this out into Z-scores, which generally indicates how much better you are with a certain pitch compared to the rest of the league. Jake, Zach Burton's whiff per swing uh, for his splitter is 20% better than any other pitcher in the league, basically. Just on splitter or on any given pitch? Just on splitter. The rest of his pitches, meh, they're okay. His four-seamer is pretty good as well. But his splitter is 20% better than the average splitter for the rest of the league. And not to mention, too... Uh, his line drive percentage is at 73, so it's a 30% reduction versus the average. Um, uh, has a better tendency to get ground balls, 10% uh, addition for ground balls. If Brad Brock doesn't make you miss, he's inducing weak contact, which allows him to come into situations like this week with the bases loaded uh, with no outs and get out of, a, with, out of a tough situation. Brad Brock deserves all the credit in the world, and I don't think people recognize how good Brad Brock is. If I had to pick an all-star right now for the Orioles— Brad Brock is my pitching all-star right now uh, for the Orioles going forward into the all-star game. And here's the other great thing about Brad Brock. First of all, you're right, yeah. 100%. But the great thing about him is that we always talk about how the save rule is stupid, it, yeah. right? And it and it leads to stupid management of the bullpen. And we all lauded uh, Buck Showalter the other day when he, when he brought in uh, Zach Britton in the eighth inning. One and two-thirds inning, yeah. We always talk about the fact that the real save of the game is the high leverage situation. Sometimes it's in the middle innings and sometimes it's, you know, the seventh or eighth. Here's the thing about Brad Brock. You can bring in a guy with closer stuff to shut down a fire before it starts and then hand it off to the best back end of the bullpen in the game, if if not the best, then one of them, in O'Day and Britain. 
that guy is such a valuable weapon because it doesn't mean that we have to burn our best asset in that moment. I I think you're right. He he should be lauded for being amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I guess what I'm saying is the next time you are watching a baseball game, you know, take a step back and, you know, we are always watching the all-stars and we're always talking to our kids about, you know, this superstar, that superstar, but it's the small intangibles. It's the glue that holds teams together. And it's those secondary players that really make the difference between a 500 team and a playoff team. And Brad Brock could easily make this team transition from a 500 team to a playoff team. If he keeps pitching in this fashion. All right. Well, I think it's in time we go ahead and go through the nasty numbers. Let's see who won this week in Fantasy Boss. Oh, when it comes to kissing, I just gotta keep insisting, oh baby, you sure do swing. Hey, that's the good guy music. That is the good guy music. So, uh, Jake, you won this week. Um, our category last week was Babbitt for pitches out of the zone, uh, which is a very odd and random one. You picked Chris Davis, who went one of six in these situations. Uh, I went with Joe Rickard, who went o of seven. Uh, so, yeah, you you managed to squeak one in there. I'm glad that we didn't end up in a tie again because those are horrible. Um, so, congratulations, I guess. Yay. Yeah, yay. All right. Well, I'm going to go with um, – because I get to pick this time, right, uh, since I'm the loser. I'm going to go with a more simplistic set. So, Jake, I, I know you've seen it going on uh, on Twitter. Uh, there's this whole movement for hashtag Dong City. I believe uh, Eric uh, from Barstool – uh, started this up uh, this season, and it's kind of a a split off of what uh, CBS Radio does uh, with their pick to click. Um, but I'm not going to do dongs because I think that's kind of everyone kind of does dongs. I like to just do extra base hits this week. Ooh. So we're going to do doubles, triples, and home runs. Oh, so just the the count of extra base hits? Yeah, just the count of extra base hits. Ah. Uh... All right, I'm going to do it. Sorry, I hope uh, I hope this doesn't start a uh, prolonged slide. I'm going to go with Manny. Chalk it up. Well, Manny's been absolutely sliding as it is, so he can only go up is the best way to describe it. Uh, I think Manny Machado is an excellent selection because it doesn't really make sense how poorly he has been behaving as of lately. You know, Matt Waiters is absolutely destroying it lately. I cannot pick him, though, because well, I think it's a fluke completely. Um, I think I'm going to go Chris Davis because... The boys got pop. I mean, I was thinking Hansu Kim, but I decided we'd go with Chris Davis. <laughs> so we're going to go. Now, did you mean over a career? Uh, or yes. So we're going to do extra base hits this week. Jake is hoping for a rebound from Manny Machado. I'm going with Crush. Who will own it? We will make that determination next week. And with that, let's go through who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly. That's right. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to start this week with my good, and my good is going to go to Jonathan Scope. We just talked about the secondary guys needing to step up. We talked about Jonathan Scope being maybe sometimes considered unheralded, but he had a great, great week. Jonathan Scope had 22 at-bats, so of course, one of the regulars. He made the most of it. His on-base percentage was uh, 318, slugged to 500. His Woba was 344, and his weighted runs created plus was 117. Jonathan Scope had been scuffling. You and I talked about it a couple weeks ago about you know when will he break out and what will that look like? You know How will he do with that ball on the outside? Can he bring his whiff rate down? He did K at 27.3%, so the boy will strike out. But other than that, he had a great week. Jake, you missed the most obvious one, which was the good for this week. It was magic. Orioles magic on Saturday night. 
when you get to your last out of a game that you basically have been stranded one nothing, and you come up and Matt Wieters hits a go-ahead three-run homer, that's just magic. And that's something that's been missing for at least a year now. We talked about this last season. There didn't seem to be that magic in the air throughout all of 2015. Nothing ever felt right. But the Orioles are winning games this year that doesn't feel like they should be winning. And I don't know about you, but I woke up Sunday with a little pep in my step. And I really didn't care so much about what happened with Sunday's game. I just woke up and I was very happy to have Orioles magic back in my life. Saturday was nice because I, I watched the game, you know, because I stay up for the late ones. Yeah. And I was a total grumpopotamus when the uh, when the ninth inning rolled around. Five pitches. I am a grumpopotamus. <laughs> five pitches. Two outs. Yeah. Right? All you need are base runners. They they worked on getting themselves out. And then uh, Davis got a hit, and I thought, oh, great. You know, too little, too late. Come on, guys. And then Trumbo got a walk, and I was like, oh, of course. Bring up Matt Wieters. That'll do great. And as I'm grumping to myself, boom, he hits it over the uh, – it, it was great. Yeah, I, that's definitely the good for the week. Hands down, no question. All right, I'm going to go to my bad. My bad this week goes to Dylan Bundy. Look, Dylan Bundy is a scuffling. There's really no better way to put that. But the thing about Dylan Bundy, I mean, he only pitched, you know, well, he pitched four four and a third innings this week. I think that Dylan Bundy, more than underperforming, is really underperforming my hopes for him. And this could be just more the fact that I want him to have a more defined role in this team. I want him to show signs that he can pitch in the majors and someday be stretched back out um, to be a starter. But look, his FIP was an 815, a garish 815, and his ERA looked a lot worse than that. Uh, Dylan Bundy not getting it done. I'd like to see a lot more out of him. So my bad goes to Sunday. Uh, I had a big beef, not so much with the aspect of not hitting Jared Weaver, which that happens. What I have an issue with is the toot blonde that happened on the base pass multiple times, which is just incredibly frustrating. The Orioles are not a running team. Joey Rickard cannot steal bases. Stop getting thrown out of the base passes. Keep people on the base path. You're going for home runs in this team. You're not going for singles and stuff like that. Stop getting outs when you don't need them. It's stupid. Stop running. You're not a running team. Bad. Bad Oreos. Bad. Do you know who's happy, though? Who's that? Alexi Casilla. Oh, that's nice. All right. My ugly for this week is Adam Jones. Adam Jones is a regular, a leader, right there in the middle of the lineup. In 24 bats, he did next to nothing. The dude hit a under 100. He had a, a on-base percentage of just 125. His, uh, well, I won't even go through the rest. He, he was really really bad. Adam Jones did almost nothing this week. He only drove in one one run. Uh, it's not good when one of the, the main motors of the engine isn't running. And you saw that, I think, this week with the Orioles' uh, run production just plummeting. Uh, I, I laud him when he does well, but I, I got to give it to him this week. Adam Jones was just ugly to watch. All right, my ugly this week has to go to the Baltimore Orioles. And it comes back to the whole Brian Mattis situation, but it's not for designated for assignment Brian Mattis. No, it's for once again giving up a draft pick uh, to basically unleash salary. Look, this is a deja vu of 2015 all over where the Orioles shed $3 million to basically Castorio, Byron Webb, and gave up one of their competitor draft picks. And as of tonight, the Orioles have given up their 76th draft pick for um, getting rid of Brian Mattis. Uh, you know, for a team that is last in uh, in their farm system, uh, it is absolutely abhorrent that a, a team would uh, give up not just a draft pick, but slot money uh, right around $900,000 to uh, basically not have as many chances during the upcoming draft. Uh, the Orioles continue to take bullets out of the chamber in terms of trying to restock this team. It's almost as if they don't really care about the future uh, and are just somewhat penny pinching, which just seems foolish for a team that is spending left and right and left and right during the off season. Uh, Baltimore Orioles, you are ugly. You are abhorrent. Stop trading away your draft picks. It's poor practice, and it makes you look like the embarrassments of Major League Baseball. I co-sign. Yeah. All right. You want to go ahead and uh, blow the save this week, Jake? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go on a little rant of my own. And Ooh. I'm, I'm going to start by admitting that I was wrong. Ooh. I was wrong in the way that I used to be critical of Fred Manfred in the radio booth. And I used to be critical of him because I felt like the play was already over and the inning 
had finished by the time he got into describing the play. Uh, I love listening to Fred on the radio. I think he's a good color guy, but I don't think he's a great play-by-play guy. Fred Manfred, as you know, is is uh, present for fewer games this season. And they replaced him in the booth with Jim Hunter. And here's the thing. Jim Hunter's got to go in the radio booth. I've heard people say that he's more at home in the radio than he was on TV and that his strength really comes out there. But Jim Hunter drives me nuts with the open rooting during the broadcast. When I watch Jim Hunter on TV, I can at least figure out whether or not I'm getting an accurate description of the game because I've seen it with my own eyes. When I'm depending on Jim Hunter's interpretation through his Orioles rose-colored glasses on the radio, I have no way to check that. Listening in, it seems like Joe Angel will give you what happened, and then Jim Hunter will explain away or or make it okay that an Oriole has failed in a particular environment. No, there's no question to whom for whom uh, Joe Angel wants to win the game. But yet he still manages to do it in a way in which he... He challenges the team. He he will critique the team when necessary. And that's just not the story with Jim Hunter. Look, I don't have anything against the guy personally. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. There's definitely a role in this organization for him. There's no reason he can't do O's extra and all that stuff. But get him off the radio if he's not going to call it more up and down the middle. Because frankly, I don't trust his call. And that's a problem. Or you just go and make ZD for the team, basically. That's fine. I mean... Seems to do pretty well with that. We'll see what happens. He's probably not the worst of them out there, though. I mean, there's a lot worse announcers. Yeah, maybe I'm spoiled. But you are spoiled. I'm over it. Yeah, okay. Well, with that, um, I guess good news with Brian Maddox being designated for assignment. Bad news about traded. the draft You pick. keep saying designated for assignment. He was traded to the Atlanta Braves. Who's immediately going to designate him for assignment? Yeah, but that's not our problem. Okay. All right. Well, with that, Jake, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. Let's go O's! Wow, that was a little loud. Yeah. (laughs) Gotta give her some uh, volume tips there, Tish. Yeah. It's over. Go home. Go.